Hey, welcome in Unanchored Boston, the podcast. Bob Lobel, Mike Lynch, and Hank Morse. It's a big week here in Boston. And thank you, as always, to our great sponsors, Our Best Foods and Our Best Burgers, and Cold Springs RV and Where New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-E, New Hampshire, Where? Cold Springs, that's right, ColdSpringsRV.com. Boys, Celtics, four wins from going to the NBA Finals. Yeah, eight wins from winning it all. The um, I don't know. Uh, we were kind of talking about three-point shots and how it's evolved in a very short period of time, how the Celtics – I mean, Chris Ford had the first one. Uh, I mean, I did a little research. You know that the three-point shot is like 23.9, whatever the measurements – feet 23.9 and in the corner it's only 22 so it's it's i suppose it's a commonly known fact that the corner shot is shorter than the, the top of the arc but it's to the center of the basket and what to me is we, what remarkable thing is to me about the three-point shot and i think the fate of the celtics that is in the three-point shot yeah. period done i don't know that there's any other any other conclusion you can come to except for the fact that it's hard to believe that in the last game that they played against Milwaukee, they took 55 three-point shots. <laughs> Just, I mean, think about it. That is half as many three-point shots in one game that Larry Bird took in his rookie season. Okay? Wow. I mean, okay, a little less than half. It's 55 in one game. They made like 22 of them. But that's in, that's really where it's evolved. I mean, who it's who hits the three point shots that wins the games. It seems to it comes down to that. I mean, you give away a two point shot and it seems like nothing. Yeah. It's it's amazing how the distances over the course of the century when the basketball was invented, which wasn't that long ago, besides the peach, peach basket out in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, they had the a a B a B L then the ABA and they had the first three point shots. And then the NBA in 1979, 80, the rookie year, magic Johnson and Larry bird. That's when it came in. And, uh, it's, it's hard it's for me to believe that it was Grant Williams. I just, the evolution of the skills I guess the, the the skills become so much better because people actually practice it now. When back then, before '79, before it was an in in colleges and high schools, anytime you were caught practicing shooting the long shots, they, they some people would get on you, say, "What are you stupid? Get in there and shoot practice shots. You're going to be shooting. Don't be trying to come." You know, so it's it was frowned upon the practice of it. And now it's like it rules the game. All it, right, it, shut up, Bob. That's enough of that. No, you're you're 100 right, and it's kind of funny how it, the, uh, the three point shot evolved. It was uh, sort of when the uh, NBA absorbed a number of the ABA teams, like the Nuggets and the Spurs and the Nets and the Pacers. Um, it was one of the concessions that they brought along with them, the three point shot, and and I um, and many others at the time thought it was just a gimmick that, you know, to make more people watch. And, and I didn't really like, like it. Was. it. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a gimmick because the NBA ratings were a little bit down. This is right. You know, this is right on the crest of bird and magic, you know, coming into the league. And, um, you know, it was, it was viewed by many as, as a gimmick and, you know, uh, who's going to stand out there. 23 feet away from the basket when they should be in setting picks and playing in the paint and getting down low and the low post and the high post. And, um, you know, I, I came around to like kind of liking it that, you know, it could really. And then I said, well, maybe they should have compromised, like have it, it only counts for three points in the last two minutes, last five minutes of each half. And, uh, but, though, but I was wrong. Um, it is, it is an exciting part of the game. Um, it's why no lead in the NBA is ever safe. You know, 15 point lead in the fourth quarter means absolutely nothing these days. You're up by 15 in a high school game in the fourth quarter. It's over, you know, start up the bus. See you later. Um, but, uh, it's funny. You watch the fast break and, and Red Auerbach's old thing and all those drills we have when we were in high school was, you know, rebounder outlet pass 
throw to the middle, fill the lanes. One guy in the middle, one guy on the right, one guy on the left. Now they go to the corner. They go to their three-point spot. And when, when, when the guy comes down on the fast break and he goes up and he gets contested, he just kicks it out to the guy in the corner who's usually wide open and bang, they either knock it down if they're hot or they miss it. And it's such a, you know, just shooting in your in your driveway with your garage. I mean, you know, when, when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. I, I, I can't it's it's I can't describe the feeling, but when 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 you're hot and you can't miss, you know it and you feel it. And no, Grant Williams, Ash zone. North or Ash zone. Yeah. That he yeah. described, and you could tell when Tatum was in it. Yeah. I mean, you, you can almost see it, uh, but it was only what you can see was his rhythm and his timing. And you could see when the rhythm and timing were connected. I mean, were he, he and the rhythm and timing were one. I don't yeah. know how else to put it other than. Uh, how how know, about Grant Williams? I mean, Grant Williams, same thing. Rhythm, timing, they became one with the person, and he was in the zone. He shot one. Tatum shot one over. They showed the replay over Giannis, who's 6'11", by the way. And Giannis's hand was coming up. And I don't know how he got the ball over Giannis's hand. So the arc was much higher than it normally is, and he drained it. Now, Grant Williams never had a hand in his face, uh, which is the fault of the Milwaukee Bucks. Tatum's three-pointers are all earned the hard way because they always had somebody that had a hand in his face. I do think you know, it's always again, been difficult for me or getting used to watching this end the new NBA game. It's odd to see guys from six ten to seven foot two on the wing. Yeah. Or out at the elbow, yeah. right? Pulling yeah. up. Like when I first started to see Al Horford, right? Big yeah. guy. But when you see Giannis from 27 feet, and it's not always just on the line. No. They're launching from 27, 28 feet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, KD Brooklyn- does it all the time. Well, I mean, you would never Three-point shot brings credibility, street cred. I mean, that's what the three-point shot is. It's the one that's glorified. Anybody can make a mid-range jumper. Anybody can make a layup or a tip-in. It's only worth two lousy points. <laughs> or why a free? Why are you even to shoot a free shot, a free throw? It takes time, and it's only one point. I mean, it's that's going to come some some point. The game's going to evolve where they're going to do away with that somehow, some way. They're going to speed up the game by eliminating the stupid foul shots uh, and create some other gimmick to take its place. That's that's, that's you know what's weird here. What was ahead, weird I'm about sorry. that game for me, anyway, the Celts get down 10 and they I shot didn't. so poorly. I remember with that big swing at the end of the first half thinking, wow, if the Celtics go into the first half down only five points, that's a mental victory except they went in up five points. Yeah. And I think they shot 34% from the floor in the first half against the defending NBA champions with Giannis. Well, where did they shoot? Where, what was their three-point percentage? That's the, the point is that they were shooting lights out and, and the Bucs couldn't buy one. That's, I mean, that was right, pretty but, much the difference in the game. They, they went up dramatically in the second half. Right? And I, I boy, what a blowout it was, too. And, and don't discount the, the 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 energy from the home crowd. I mean, they they can sense it. And you know, uh, uh, well, and then a the guy's got an open look. Ah, uh, yes. And then uh, Peyton Place comes in there, and and he's spectacular, and he's dropping him in. And and I can't I, I can't help thinking how satisfying a win that must have been for for Danny Ainge, because uh, every single guy out there on the floor was brought into this program by Danny Ainge, even though one of them left, Al Horford, and came back. Um, they're all Ainge guys, right? Everybody. Yeah, except for White and all. But, you know, yeah, yeah. And right. But he brought Pritchard in. You know, he's you know, There's no question. I, 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 thought, I thought that was kind of cool that, that, that I saw Danny was there before the game. Um, I wish ABC would, would show the celebrities in the crowd like they show on the Jumbotron at the game. I mean, you know, sitting behind Kraft was Mac Jones, the Patriots quarterback. Right, and the kind of a cool shot to show all the all the Boston people that are there. They did show Pierce. Um, I don't know if he was hiding out from someone. You know, what's with the hood? You know, sitting on the sidelines. He's just trying to be incognito. But um, you know, it's it's pretty cool when they when you're at the game and they show him on the jumbotron because the place goes crazy. And um, you know, maybe you know, maybe maybe they'll do it in the conference finals. I don't know. But you know who used to? There used to be a, a poor Heather Walker who's you know she's she's ill and she's she's fighting the battle of her life, 
she used to be the one she would give a, get a list and she would tell, she would actually, uh, I, I, she gave it to one of our producers and would tell who the, uh, who the celebrities in attendance were and where they were sitting that night. So if we wanted to make a shot of them with our own camera, we, we could do it. And Heather, I don't think has been around many of the games and maybe, you know, somebody needs to pick up the slack there. Cause that's all part of it. I think if the game was in Los Angeles, I mean, every, every, every cutaway is some celebrity or actor, right? At a Lakers game. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So, well, it used to be Jack Nicholson and uh, <laughs> Diane Cannon. Diane Cannon was always in the front row, always in the front row. Remember when Nicholson came? He came to the garden in like in 84, 85, 86, and they, they didn't give him, a, he had to sit up in the, um, in the cage where, where we sit. Uh, uh, basically, the press, they called the Nate Greenberg press box. And Jack was up there and they were giving it to him left and right. And he was a hell of a good sport about everything. It was great. And he's going, he's giving the choke sign. <laughs> I remember one, one game in LA was at halftime and we were, we kind of camera guy and I were walking kind of past him at halftime doing, I don't know. But then I said, what do you think, Jack? And then he just didn't say anything. He just pointed up at the scoreboard like that. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Big smile. <laughs> Honey, I'm home. Like <laughs> now, do you think this Miami Heat team proves more of a difficult matchup with for the Celtics than the Bucks? They're, they're, they're better. I mean, don't discount the fact that Chris Middleton was wasn't uh, out there. That that would be like probably playing without Jalen Brown uh, in that whole series. Um, so uh, they get some good athletes. Uh, you get Jimmy Butler, who's a winner. Tyler Harrow, who's very good. They get uh, what's his name, Bam Abadayo. Uh, is that how you say? Yeah, it? spectacular, Kyle Lowry, and uh, you're going to see uh, once again. We saw him two years ago in the bubble. Duncan Robinson, out of yeah, I got Phillips. you. Phillips Exeter Academy. See that sweatshirt over there? Yeah. Wow. Duncan Robinson, Phillips really? Exeter Academy, in the undrafted. Um, this last uh, August signed a six-year, $90 million contract extension. Uh, he had eight threes in one of their wins over Atlanta. Uh, he'll come off the bench, and, and he's a very streaky shooter. If he's, if he's got the stroke going, he'll be lights out. If he doesn't, he could be 0 for 8. But, uh, Milwaukee, don't you think Milwaukee's – I thought their best player was Connaughton. Anytime he was on the floor, he was trouble. Something happened all the time. He either made an assist, he stole the ball – um, he had one bad turnover the other day. Yeah, but I, I agree. He, but he makes things happen, doesn't he? He's all over the place. All the time, right. He's just he can a, jump through the building for a guy who's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, yeah. But, you know, it's like the only – you stop Giannis, you stop them. I, I mean, I yeah. kind of think that was it. I mean, they were exhausted, and I think the Celtics might have a similar problem going into this Miami series. Of course, by the time this is aired or whatever, we'll know. I think if the Celtics win their first game, I think they win the series easily. I just can't imagine them going from one series one day off to the next series in Miami on the road and winning game one. I can't imagine that. But if it does happen and they've done a lot of things that you couldn't imagine them doing, I think this is going to be theirs. ESPN polled 19 of their staffers. I went to ESPN.com today. 15 of the 19 – Asked to predict the series, chose the Celtics. It was a 15 to 4 margin in favor of the Celtics against the Heat. Wow. Which amazed me that it would be that big of a swing. If only they knew something. I mean, credit by I mean, I mean anybody no, else concerned it. about the Celtics' lack of offensive rebounding? I'm or just happy they're there. I, I mean, just the offensive no rebounds idea. that they gave up, the defensive rebounding. Oh my God, it drove me nuts. The second attempts. I think you just got to be happy they're there. I don't remember. Well, I don't remember it because it never happened before. And I was going to ask Lynchy about the two seven games, seventh games back to back. Uh, never happened before until this weekend. And uh, they weren't, I know, not both at home, but between the Bruins and Carolina and the Celtics and Miami, it, it was, would have been great to be working uh, awesome. under those. I really wish this one time, I really wish I was back sitting in front of that camera in that studio to talk about the two seventh games. 
You know what would have been spectacular if it was, um, let's just say the Carolina game was home and it was a day-night doubleheader. We had oh, the Celtics yeah. at one or the Bruins at 12.30 and the Celtics at like 7.30 or vice versa. Either the ice been- would have been melting or the floor would have been wet. <laughs> Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, you know, we're not we're not far. And I, I probably should look this up. Um, look like like May 1988, uh, Hank, uh, Dominique and Larry Bird. Um, I want to say it's pretty close to this this day. We're taping the show on Tuesday, May 17th. And tell me what day that was. Larry Bird, Dominique Wilkins. So you mean when they went their duel back and the forth? Duel, right? Especially the fourth quarter, back and forth, back and forth. May 22. May, May 22nd. 22nd. All right. So May 22nd. So I, we all remember this. That was the Dominique Bird thing. And it was unbelievable. And we were all in the locker room afterwards and doing we had the live shots we had to do out in the hallway because they were taking the boards up because the Bruins and Oilers were playing um, a Stanley Cup final game that night. So we're standing out. We just finished doing the 6 o'clock news. And I look, and this guy in the overcoat is walking um, through the hallway, and it's Wayne Gretzky all by himself. So I went over and said, hey, Wayne. I said, can I just ask you one quick question? He goes, no, I'm really, really late. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So we followed him down the hallway. They went all the way down the end, past the Bruins locker room to their locker room. And he stopped. He turned around. He goes, okay, one quick question. I know what it's going to be. I said, uh, all right, the reason you're late, he goes, I couldn't leave my hotel room. I was watching Larry Bird and Dominique. It was one of the most unbelievable performances I've ever seen in my life. I just couldn't leave my TV set. I missed the bus. I took a cab over here. I hope we can provide as much excitement tonight. Okay, thanks. Boom, in the locker room. Money bite, right? Money bite. Money bite. And amazing that, you know, he just, you know, he's he's playing for the Stanley Cup finals that night, but he couldn't leave his uh, TV set in his hotel room to watch what was going on. And uh, you remember the Atlanta bench? Yeah, they, when Bird would drop. Well, that was that, that was that was the sixty-point game. All right. Okay. Was it? Yes. Yeah. You're right. When they yeah, that was the sixty-point game. All right. But this, but this was like every single time. It, 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 this this was Ali Frazier. Boom by Larry, and then Nick would come down. Boom with another one. Larry would come down. Boom, and Nick would come down. Boom. You know, if, if you've ever want YouTube it, folks out there, if you had, if you haven't seen it, then uh, May twenty-second, eighty-eight, right? Thank you. Yeah. Not, they were not. In 1988, and for those who yeah. don't remember it, Dominique actually outscored Larry Bird 47 uh, to 34 points. But Bird only had 14 in the first three quarters. He dropped 20 in the fourth <laughs> quarter to finish with 34 points. Dominique had 14, but Dominique shot 19 of 23 from the field. Yeah, that game. Yeah, and the Stealth was... won 102 to 100. I and mean, we were running out of ink on our little notepads. Like this can't be. You know, you write down. In, in TV, you don't write down every score, you know, unless you're Jack Edwards. You just read my mind. I was the same phrase <laughs> I was going to say, unless you're Jack Edwards. If we could have said that together. That would have been totally amazing. I it, just it, absolutely it, it, thought that the minute you said that. In color-coded ink. Different color pencils, right? right. <laughs> he was the guy that had that pen with the five different little things on it? Yeah. No. Five separate pens. He, he had a briefcase. With like like the like a rainbow of every every single you know they were like the thin magic markers and the thin pens. So that he had green for the Celtics and red for Atlanta. Unbelievable. I mean, but but we would just write down shots that we we want we want in the highlights, and you know usually you write down a half a dozen per game. We must have written down twenty shots we wanted in the fourth quarter alone. In an instant like that. Do you have to call back to the news director and plead for more time for sports? <laughs> well, the news director, that was a Sunday afternoon. So there isn't a news director in the world who's actually in the station, but you call the producer. And the producer there usually has a parade, an overnight fire, um, you know, some. Uh, you know, the, yeah, but you're going to lead with the Celtics. Yeah. You're yeah. going to lead with that. So you get two shots at it. Yeah. So you actually said, yeah, this game's unbelievable. And, hey, we got a great interview with Larry Bird. You know, we really need more time. Uh, you know, the weather needs the time because, you know, it's going to be sunny and 80 tomorrow. And, uh, you know, so that, that those are the fights that uh, they're still going on in, in newsrooms. Of course. And How about schedule? Harvey Leonard? Congratulations, Harvey Leonard. I just saw this week that Harvey Leonard is retiring. Yeah. 50 years uh, between wow. – Providence and Channel 7 and Channel 5. 
I got to work two of them. When I did the afternoon traffic on Dale Dorman show um, in the nineties, he was our weather guy. So I would talk to him every single day, but never see him. Yeah. You know? So although I've only met him two or three times in person for a couple of years, I talked to him five times a week. What a gem, just a gentleman every single day. I think a little, little known story is that, uh, he was about to come to work to Channel 4, and then Channel 4 decided that they were not going to add Harvey Leonard, and he went to Channel 5. End of that story. Really? Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, buried history in, in the history of Boston, tele, television in Boston, things that might have been that never were, the things that ended up being because of a certain set of circumstances. But... <clears throat> Anyway, that's that was a long time ago, and I, I clearly wish that we had hired Harvey, but that's that we didn't, so that's our fault. That's on us. A, a gigantic sports fan, by the way. Gig, I mean, gigantic. Yeah, he's good. He would. Uh, the sports office used to be upstairs before we moved into the main newsroom about five years ago, and you know we could hear him coming up the stairs, and I said, "Uh oh, here we go." He says, "What are they doing? Yanking the pitcher?" After six innings, he's only thrown 64 pitches. Why are they yanking him? Why are they yanking? What is John Farrell doing? I says, I don't know, Harvey. Maybe that guy was on a pitch count. Maybe he's got, no, you can't do that. And then the next day he comes out, he says, why is Marcus Smart on the floor when we're down by six points? We need some guys that can shoot. We need Pierce on the floor. We can't have Marcus Smart on the floor. And then I would say, hey, Harvey, I'm playing golf Friday afternoon at 1226 in Andover. He goes, I have no idea what the weather's going to be. Don't bother me with that. We need to find out why Marcus Smart is on the floor. And <laughs> an unbelievable sports fan. Dick Albert was the same way. And, uh, you know, good for Harvey. He's going out in his terms, which a lot of people don't get to do in this business. And he's going to come yeah. back. <laughs> he's going to come back uh, as a special uh, contributor yeah. uh, when there's big storms, et cetera, et cetera. But he's all done May 25th uh, as uh, for every night. And then we'll be back in the fall. Uh, they got some project going on, on cli ch climate change, and he's going to be contributing on that. So he'll still be around, and uh, it'll be always be good to see him. But a good guy, 73 years old, you know, still got his fastball, still throwing 90 miles an hour. Good guy is right. A uh, couple – wonder what do you think of the NFL schedule? There's just a couple of things I wrote down. In the NFL schedule – came out last week and you got to give the NFL credit. Only they could market a one night uh, event, like announcing the schedule for the yep. next year and sell it and have it broadcast and promote it. I mean, that's when, you know, you're riding pretty high as a professional sports league. When you're, when the schedule comes out and it, you can sell it and it matters. Yeah. One hour primetime show. And then, excuse me, rich strike, not running in the Preakness. And then in the PGA, so I'll just throw those things out there. But the, talk about the, let me ask you about the NFL schedule for a second. And okay. like everybody says, well, when you, it comes out, you say, well, win that one, lose that one. You're not going to beat Buffalo twice. You got to look at the quarterbacks they're facing uh, in the AFC, which you know it, it's pretty dramatic when you have to look at what they have to play. Uh, I can dig out the schedule. You have it in front of you now, but I'm just throwing that out there I think what the way it is now that you really have to take a look at not so much the teams that they're playing but the quarterbacks that they're playing I don't know what's going on in Pittsburgh the second week of the season whether Mitch Trubisky's going to be the going to be trouble or not or whether it's going to be Kenny Pickett and his small hands but that's always a big I'm serious only the NFL can come up with stories like that a quarterback with small hands <laughs> uh, I'm amazed at how much fanfare the lack of a formal offensive coordinator has generated out of Foxborough, whether it's going to be Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, what's going on? And, and what is the reasoning, not that anybody would know, with Bill Belichick? I mean... It, it's NBA, it's NFL tradition pretty much, right? You know, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, then you've got your assistant coaches, your position coaches. Do you think that that's just part of Belichick and his mind games playing with not only the media, but the rest of the league? He grew up in a military environment. You never give the enemy 
an inside look to what your strategy is. So when you, if there's an offensive coordinator who might be on the sidelines, you know who he is, and you're always looking to try to read his lips, his body language. If he's up in the booth, you try to have somebody look in and reading his body language and try to read his lips. So why he knows exactly who's going to be calling the plays, but he if he doesn't have an obligation to reveal it, he won't reveal it. And that's just the way he is. Yeah. And that's the way he's, he's always going to be. Let everyone keep guessing. Let them worry about the opponent, worry about who our offensive coordinator is, and that might take – 10 minutes away each week from an opponent worrying about what they're going to do in third and five, second and two from the four yard line. That's, that's what that, that's the way he thinks. That's his mentality. Yeah. He is the coach and you're not, that's the way it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like he's done this in the past. We've always known in the past who it was. Do we know who was calling the defensive plays the last couple of years? No, don't say no one. Yeah. And when, <laughs> when, when one time when Bill O'Brien was here, I, I don't believe he was calling the plays, but he was basically his title was quarterback coach for a while when Josh McDaniels went to uh, Denver, I think. So, yeah, you're right. Bob said it best. He's the coach and you're not. And it's none of your business what we're doing. I, I mean, it's pretty much that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, fear me. You don't have to fear anybody else. I'm the one you got to worry about. You know what's not right. a secret, though, Hank? Oh, yeah, I know what the answer is. Our best foods and our best burgers. I just went, I bought two grills this past weekend. One for my family, one for my daughter's family. And all I could think about all weekend long, our best foods and our best burgers. They're simply fantastic. I mean, that's the 12-pack. Lynchy's also got the 20-pack. But how many grandchildren do you have now? Five? Six. Get six grandchildren. Three daughters, and to tell you what, when they all come to the house and the spouses come, the significant others, man, there's a party. The all beef burgers. I mean, they're legendary. So what you do what is what happened to my meatballs? Yeah. Not meatball season. We're, we're, we're moving. We're moving into burger season. So what you really do, you got to plan ahead too, because you got a lot of stuff going on. Because in two weeks, it's Memorial Day weekend, the official kickoff really to summer. All right. And then six weeks later, it's Fourth of July. You're best to go now. Like a lot of people have a second fridge and freezer down in their basement or what have you. You better go stock up now because they fly off the shelves. So ourbestfoods.com, just like that. Just like that. Right. Download the coupon. And you're camping. Walk into your local grocer, frozen food section. Look for Pablo Bell, the smiling chef, and load up on our best burgers from our best foods. So what do you think the Patriots' schedule is going to be? I mean, what uh, winning, losing. Uh, Do you have it in front of you? No, but I guess I could find it. I'm not that clever. My my, my printer's down, and I wrote it on an envelope. I I know. So that means you don't have it in front of you. I don't have it. All right. I got it right here. I knew that. I knew you could come through with it, Hank. At Miami, right? At Miami, and then at Pittsburgh. I know that. At home against Carolina. Carolina might be – they might re-sign Cam Newton. That's but a double they might have uh, Maker, Baker Mayfield uh, from the Browns. He might All be right. their starter. So let's hold on. Let's divide it into quarters, even though there's 17. Let's go at Miami, early part of the year. I don't think it gives Miami a heat advantage like it would if the game was in December. Good. So they might – Patriots might be all right down there. Do we agree? No, no, I don't agree, yeah. but that's, that's all right. on Sunday, September 11th. Okay. Then they go to Pittsburgh. Now, normally, if you were in the 70s, you open on the road in Miami and Pittsburgh, it's two automatic L's. But the Dolphins and Steelers are not the Steelers of uh, Dolphins of the 70s. Um, Pittsburgh needs a quarterback. Uh, I think they're in trouble. I think the Patriots win that game. Then they're in home. Pittsburgh. With- huh? In Pittsburgh. So you're 2-0 and against right out of the shoot. You're 2-0? and No, I'm 1-1. One and one. They win in Pittsburgh. They lose in Miami. Oh, okay. Um, home with Baltimore. That's a very tough one. Early in the year. Um, and then they go to Green Bay, right? Yeah. Always so tough, three out, right? Three out of- Again, with quarterbacks. Check the quarterbacks. That's the whole key to me. Well, I am. I'm going. I'm, I'm I know. Going. Don't get snippy with me. I'm sorry. I didn't I'm mean going. to. I, I heard you. you, you said, I know I am. You said. I said, don't check the quarterbacks. You said, no, I am. You said, don't check the quarterbacks? No, I said, check the quarterbacks. And you said, no, I am. I am checking them. 
<laughs> so I'm I got Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron and Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, Trump over uh, Mac Jones. Yeah. All right. Then there's four cupcakes, right? What comes up after Green Bay? You got the Lions at home. That's oh. a W. Right. You got. You, then you're on the road in Cleveland. That's a, a W because uh, who knows who the quarterback's going to be. Yeah. Don't be so sure. Cleveland's not a bad football team. All right. Just because you grew up in Ohio. Just, I'm uh, telling you, just don't be so sure. Okay. Belichick, well, you know, well, Belichick's well, got his footprint on Cleveland too. You know. I, 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 I am sure. I have to be sure to make a pick. All right. Monday, October twenty fourth. Out here, but fine. Go ahead. Go with Home it. Home against then. the Bears. Chicago. They win that game too. And then on Sunday the thirtieth, they play in New York against the Jets. Jets. That's an automatic W. Much then they improved. play. Uh, game number nine is against the Colts. Sunday afternoon, one o'clock game, and then they have the bye week. Colts tough. Yeah. They're hosting the Colts. They host the Colts. Yep. Then they have the bye Ryan. week. And then they've got the Jets. Matt Ryan comes back to Boston College. Okay, go ahead. All right. They and beat they the Colts. Bye the... in the Jets. And they beat the Jets. They beat the Colts? Yep. And then they play Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, hold on a second, Mike. You can't have them winning every game. You have I them... don't have them winning every game. Oh, yeah, I have them losing the Packers. What about what are you telling me they're going to beat the Colts? I have them losing. Three of their first four games, losing to Miami, Baltimore, and Green Bay. Colts? Yeah, yeah they'll beat the Colts in uh, in Foxborough. Yeah. Okay. Just trying to help you. Right, then they have the bye week. yourself from yourself. <laughs> Too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, get the bye week. Then November 20th, before Thanksgiving, they're at home against the Jets. Win. Thanksgiving Day, they play in Minnesota against the Vikings. When? What? Who are the Vikings? Who are the Vikings? I don't know. I don't. Know. Maybe who, you're I mean, right. who, who are I'll they? Give you that one. Okay, you talked me out of that. It's one. Indoors, perfect climate. You know, they they won a Super Bowl there. So it's just it's a Thursday after a Sunday. That's all. For both teams. But they're home, and you're not. And they play the Jets, which is like playing the JVs. Okay. Now, the month of December and into January is going to yeah, be quite a treat because they play a Thursday night game. They play two Thursdays in a row, Thanksgiving, Thursday, then they play Thursday, December 1st. They host the Bills. Good That's going to be a big L. Then, yeah. then they play on Monday night, December 12th. So they play the Cardinals in Arizona. That's, That's a, a tough um, one. It's a loss. It's a loss. And then they play in Vegas against the Raiders. The That's loss. Automatic win. <laughs> he always beats up on his, his old assistants. He always beats them. Well, Doesn't he? Except for Brian, Brian Flores. <laughs> I'm just now saying. Now on, um, on yeah, Saturday. I think that's an automatic. No, that, how can you just come out and say that's an automatic win? That's anything but. I said it. They're yeah, going to be. I'm trying to, again save yourself from yourself. Again, it's too late for that. All right. So they Saturday, beat the... December 24th is a very, very big day. Yeah, I know. Because it's... not only are the Patriots at home against the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah. but the pride of Apple Creek will celebrate a birthday that day. Yeah. Oh, maybe if I get that far. Oh, you Yeah, you say that. Uh, anyway, uh... that's a loss. That's a Super Bowl team that, that's going upward. That's a loss. Okay, uh, it's another Ohio team, by the way. Yeah. Then you finish up on Sunday, January 1st with the Dolphins, and then the final game of the season. The win. Which is either the 7th or the 8th of January at Buffalo. Okay, they beat the Dolphins here. I agree with Mike there. And I agree with the fact that they're not going to win in Buffalo. Unless, hey, anything's possible. Somebody could get hurt. Josh Allen, you know, God forbid. So you, you could get hurt. Any of these so guys. you're thinking 9-7, and 10-6? and six? What did we um, say last year? Ten and seven. We all came out ten and seven. seven. I got eleven and I got them winning in Buffalo the last game of the year. You know why? Well, what fortune teller are you talking to? Here's what's going to happen: Buffalo okay. will have, Buffalo will have already clinched the division and a first round bye, and they'll rest their players. The Patriots will need it for higher seating, and the Patriots will win to run them to eleven and six on the year. Eleven Bob? and six. 
That's why he got into Harvard and we didn't. Hold on a second. Prognostication. Please Is that send a major your, Harvard prognostication? Please send your crew over to Mike Lynch's house <laughs> for treatment. <laughs> Have him get there as quickly as possible. Notice he had it on auto. He's just picked the Patriots with an 11 and 7 record. Well, that's 18 games. So what did you say they were going to be? 11, 11 and, and 6. six. 11, and six. 11 and 6. 11 and 6. Hurry. Wow. <laughs> They'll be right there. I'll be happy with a 500 just, season. Just stay calm. They'll be right there. 11 and 6. What are you, nuts? We're going to this show. That, that 11 and 6, what are you, nuts? We're going to pick that sound bite up from you right there. And on January 8th, we're going to play it again. Here's Bob Lobel back on May 17th. 11 and 6. What are you, nuts? What are you, nuts? <laughs> Speaking of the Patriots, yeah. um, may he rest in peace. A friend to all of us. God. Everybody in the wind. The great Gino Capaletti. I mean, none finer than, than this guy as a person. He was. As a player. As a coach, as a broadcaster, as a golfer, as just a great ambassador. I mean, I, I you know, when you think of your top ten people that you've met in your in your in your life, Gino's got to be right up there. We did a season together of the Boston Breakers when they were at BU, and yep. uh, actually played teams like the Denver Gold. Yep. We went out to Mile High Stadium. I mean, Gino was. He was. The best. Yeah. Not only, I mean, as a human being and everything else, and he was a great companion to Santos. They were a great combination. They were. I mean, he and Gil really worked together really well. Yep. And he'd always... Uh, Original Boston oh, Patriot, right? 1960? All Yep, 1960. Played, uh, scored the first points in the AFL uh, history, a field goal uh, against the Denver Broncos on September 9th, 1960. And I was at the game. I was just about to turn seven years old and, uh, really they were giving out they gave free tickets out to all the high school coaches to Dad, you're gonna be 11 and six this year you wait <laughs> Twenty-one thousand people were at the game at bu's nickerson field and d and gino could not make the nfl hall of fame i'm i'm, I'm you know what what's even going to make me sicker is if he does make it someday and he's not around to accept the award yeah he was the all-time He doesn't want to be dead and then get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's um, the all-time leading scorer in the American Football League. I mean, he's a guy who played wide receiver, and then as soon as he catches like a seventy-yard touchdown pass, he's got to line up and kick the extra point. Um, he's got to kick on fourth down. He played safety. He's he's you know, still to this day, he's the only guy in the history of pro football to run and throw for a two-point conversion, catch a pass, intercept a pass, return a punt, make a punt, kickoff, return a kickoff, all in the same season. <laughs> Led the AFL in scoring five times, MVP of the league, 42 touchdown uh, receptions, 176 field goals, a 300. Yeah, he can't be in the Hall of Fame. He never can't made be the, in the Hall of Fame. Fame. Beyond belief. I mean, a two, you know, and he, he kicked with, I brought one of these up here to show the people. This is the shoe that he he kicked with. Uh, this isn't his exact shoe, but it's a it's a square toe. It's a here's an old it's cleat. Tom Dempsey, Mike Lynch toe. Yeah, that was the one that I wore when I was in college. So you see the square toe right up here. So that you get a, you get a flat uh, uh, square hit on the ball, and you kick it right through just like this. There's actually some some grass still on the bottom of this cleat right here from the old ball, I think. Um, but that's that's what he kicked, and I found this old football here. Um, so football's like this, and then you get a square kick on it. So the ball goes end over end up into the uprights. So this old football has a couple autographs on it. And one of them, they're fading very, very quickly, but Artie Graham is on here and Gino Capaletti is on it. Imagine, look at wow. this ball. Unbelievable, huh? Now, did you model your own kicking, uh, style after Gino? He was one of my heroes. We, um, we played touch football in the, in Faulkner's backyard. And they had a grapevine there, and the grapevine uh, didn't have uprights, but it went across like this. It was like a, a metal metal pipe. It looked like a staple. And behind it was Mrs. Faulkner's laundry. And we used to get out after school, and I thought it was the, the coolest thing because to kick extra points, because a lot of the NFL teams went for two all the time, but they didn't really have a great kicker. But so 
we would kick, I would kick all the time and knock all her laundry down. She never really minded or anything. And uh, to this day, the grapevine is still there. Uh, it's a couple doors down from my mom's house. And um, now I get dirt all over my notebook. When's the last time you went and tried to kick one? Uh, I did a high five over at Buckingham Brown and Nichols maybe seven or eight years ago. Pull a and groin? The, huh? She didn't pull a groin muscle. I did. I did. did. Yeah. <laughs> and John Pappas was the coach, and he wanted. He told everybody, so he wanted me to kick an extra point. And he said that he would. Uh, I would get some type of bonus if I kicked it into a, a balcony. Uh, there was a balcony on, on the school above the field, and I kicked it and just barely made it over. Yeah, that's all well, right. You made, you made it though. You know, my story, Charlie Brown story. Tell me if I, about kicking as a JV kicker in in Waynedale High School in Apple Creek, Ohio. I told you this, didn't I? Because no, did you do? Did you try to do that? I was a kicker. I went for the JV team. Yeah, I missed. I whiffed <laughs> on the kick. You Charlie I mean, Browned it. You missed I the ball on the kick. Yeah, they right, and there was no Lucy there. <laughs> you so, missed the ball. I missed the friggin' ball. Okay, so you would be pig pen. Five yard penalty, offside. <laughs> <laughs> I missed. I whiffed. Okay, was it your only attempt? Well, after that, yeah, I think it was the last attempt. It wasn't the only attempt. It was my last attempt. I'd, I'd love to ask Robert Kraft about playing lightweight football down at Columbia. Did was it a fifty yard field? Did they play regulation? I mean, well, was everything? It's a lightweight football. They use a scat back. Scat, scat back. back. Ask Shaughnessy knows all about it. We yep. should ask him. But yep. but back back to Gina. I mean, Gina was a great golfer. He played out at Pleasant Valley. Uh, he was in the uh, food business. He he always looked dapper, didn't he? All the time. He always was always you know even if he just wore a sweater and slacks, he he just had a presence about him. And one connection a lot of people may not know is that uh, he would seek out the few times they crossed paths, seek out Kevin McHale because they both grew up on the, on the called, they call it the range, but it's the iron range in, in, in Minnesota. In where, Hibbing? Uh, well, he was in, um, uh, Gino grew up in a, I want to say it began with a K like Kenaughton or something like that. But Kevin broke, woke up, uh, grew up in Hibbing, but they talk about uh, the days on the range. And there was like a nice, nice little connection the two of them had. And then when, when Adam Vinatieri uh, broke his uh, all-time Patriots scoring record, um, we were doing the all-access show, and we had a big cake for, uh, for Vinatieri. And surprise, surprise, we just, we just called and said, hey, would you like to come in? And uh, so Vinatieri's there doing the interview, and in walks uh, Gino with the cake, with the candles all burning and, and singing congratulations to him. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we have all of great memories of, of Gino. I just love watching him play. And one of the, the other gimmicks they had in the old American Football League was they didn't have any nets behind the goalpost. So you were, it was a souvenir. You could, get, you could keep the ball if you got it. And I want to tell you something. You think that Hearns and Hagler uh, had, some thrown, had some fists thrown and had some, had a, that was a brawl? These brawls went on. I mean, they kicked the ball over the third base dugout. Okay, that was one goalpost. The other goalpost was down by the bullpen in right field. So the people would be either the people in the bleachers or the third base grandstand were the recipients of the of the extra point or the field goal. So it would start, and then you know just hugging it for dear life, and someone would try to rip it out of them, and there'd be a kickoff, and then we'd be like first, second, or third down, and nobody's watching the field. Everyone's watching the Donnybrook going on in the bleachers. And then some guys smartened up. They they started doing it as a team. So as soon as they caught it, they fire like you know down the end of the alley, like you got the guy with the bag of peanuts, you know, with the Fenway, and they throw it to him, and he'd throw it to another guy, and bang, down the exit ramp they would go, and they'd have the football, and it had white stripes on it too, which was kind of cool, and the old American football logo. But it was so much fun to watch those games, and I'm telling you, there the were people were on. We're at, right at the goal line at the time. Correct? Yeah, they changed that around 1970. They were on the goal line. Yeah. Whoops. The football just fell down. Look at that. How about that? And uh, they, uh, yeah, they, they changed it um, to then because guys were like, you know, catching, you know, slants and running into the goal post. Uh, never no. was a problem for Gino. <clears throat> it's, um, I don't know. It's like the NFL does things to tinker around with 
in a competition committee. Yeah. They've taken away more defense and put it to more offense, protected the quarterbacks. It's no different than the NBA and the three-point play. You stop and think about it. Everybody tinkers around with whatever sports they have. Major League Baseball messing around with their pitch, uh, you know, count electrical set of signs by the catcher, the electronic pitch caller now. I mean, every sport's doing things different in a different way to try to improve uh, and make it more fan acceptable. So one of the things I think we may have just added another chapter for the Loby Cruiser, really, because we talked about going to the NBA Hall of Fame and going, you know, then going up to uh, Toronto to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I think we have to add not only the Maple Leafs play, that's for sure, (laughs) for the Football Hall of Fame, but we might have to detour to Apple Creek to see where Loby Legend actually grew up and where some of his love of sports were really formed. Well, it's fairly sparse. One railroad track, one grocery store, one bank, one gas station. But there would be one spectacular RV from Cold Springs RV making that trip. Actually, you might meet some other RV people out there for sure. Hey, you know, campus, if you missed the Cold Springs RV campers kickoff event, well, don't worry. When was that? No, if you missed it, don't worry about it. Don't even think about it, all all right? All right. I'm, I'm just here to, to assure you not to worry about it because there's still time to celebrate the camping season early with a selection and pricing you'll need to see to believe. Cold Springs RV has a proven reputation of working early with manufacturers to ensure the best inventory. They got it. In other so, words, they got it. That, so don't worry about it. Don't even check any place else because I guarantee you they will have it. Go check out the fantastic selection of travel trailers fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, pop-ups, and more. What about pressure, salesman pressure? Do they have? Do they put a lot of pressure on you? Not, not at all. Not no, at all. No, no pressure team, right? No, they're, they're there to help you. Well, if you're going to take advantage of the great deals and the no pressure team, it sounds like a shopping heaven to me. Uh, Couple other notes here. Cold Springs RV, the doors are always open on every unit. So you can freely browse. You know, you don't even have to knock. Just, well, it's probably not a bad idea to knock. Just always be polite. Knock, but you can go into any RV that they have there and check it out. The doors are always open on every unit. If you're looking for a new camper, you'll be blown away by their selection and their price. So go to Cold Springs RV and tell them Unanchored Boston sent you, and we'll be happy to ride to Florida with you anytime you want to go. Cold Springs RV, uh, where New Hampshire, uh, that's where New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-E, where, online, also at coldspringsrv.com. Pretty simple. Up. That's them calling oh, now. Hold on Parker's a family soundtrack. I like that, Bob. It's a nice ringtone. We could, you know, we could listen all the I'll way get out. Back to just you. a second. I, don't let that eighteen wheeler go or whatever. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to screenshot got. this so Thank I can you. send it to Stone Phillips to send him, <laughs> remind him of the Yale loss when Mike Lynch uh, booted the victory. You know, the nice thing about Cold Springs RV is they're, they're always prepared, like the doors are always open, and they're always fully set up. I went to a place to look at a, a tent trailer, a pop-up at one time, many years ago, and I get into it, and you know it's like a square box, like a 12-foot square box or a rectangular box, and then they put jacks down on the end to secure it, and then the ends, it pops up and the ends slide out. Well, they hadn't put the jacks down to secure it, so I stepped into it, and as soon as I took one step to the left, boom, it was like a seesaw. Of course, now I knew I was in trouble, but I still had to get out. So I had to step to the middle, and the thing came slamming down on the ground. I ran out of it. You won't have to worry about that at Cold Springs RV. They're always prepared. Wow. Just like us. Just like we are. Okay, Rich Strike is not in the Preakness, uh, the shortest of the three races. Apparently, I bet you will be in the Belmont because he's a, he's a distance horse, but I so much for the Triple Crown. I think it's a smart move. I mean, why 
probably a good chance he's not going to duplicate what he did in, in in the Kentucky Derby. Why let your breeding prices go down when you have a shot at the Belmont and you can even, you know, increase them. I mean, you may not be happy if you're the horse trying to get out in the, in the pasture as soon as you possibly can, but <laughs> you might have to wait a few more weeks. That's all. I, well, if, if, if just if, for the casual racing fan, it's a big disappointment because without there will not be a triple crown. Well, there'll be no, no bite the pony contest either. No, there will not. Um, it might be the only horse the casual sports fan will even recognize going into the Preakness, which is too bad. Um, I, it, it's 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 the big a big part of that of that of racing is to you know have someone win one while well, he wins the Preakness and you know get a lot of heads a lot of eyeballs on the screen for the Belmont Stakes, and uh, oh well, so it's the way. C'est la vie, as they say. C'est la vie. What is a horse whisperer, Bob? Uh, it's someone who just can coddles. communicate with the horses. Yeah, coddle, that, coddle, that coddles the horse. Yeah, they just touch the natural you know, equestrian that has a... You get the snout and you just kind of rub them and calm them and coddle. That's That would be a Harvard term for, you know, Tom Coddle type, type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I like Tom Coddle. I liked his brother, Bob. Remember the artist? He used to be on Saturday morning, yeah. six o'clock yeah. on Channel Five. Okay, Rich Strike. Now the PGA and all that stuff. Are we? I want. I just want the Maple Leafs. I was going to say the Maple Leafs. Can't. Don't you feel? I mean, you got to have some empathy for Maple Leaf fans. Well, I mean, now I. That's how we felt from 1918 to 2004. That was 86 years. Right. What are we looking here? 22 and uh, 55. Yeah, 1967. It's nothing. That's no, nothing. I don't. You know, it, it's different. I'm not saying it would. It's nothing. I think that the pain that they feel has to be every bit as much as the pain that inflicted Red Sox fans through all those years. I think they're very similar in that, you know, Toronto really is Canada's team, not the Montreal Canadiens, and for. That's royalty. It's hockey royalty. And for the Royals to finish up without a championship again, and especially losing in the first round. I mean, they have four players that take up half of their salary. They're all making $10 million. You know, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews. You've got Nylander. You've got Tavares. I mean, they're loaded, and they just can't get it done year after year. you got a shot at you got to decide who's going to win it. I think Colorado would be my pick. I don't. If I had to pick a team to win the Stanley Cup, Colorado. If I had to pick a team to win the NBA championship, I'd probably pick Dallas. Oh, the poor Phoenix Suns fans. Oh, boy, huh? That's another one. Boy. boy. Mm. Not that I feel badly for All the right, Mike, when it, this. Mike, I can tell that there's something. Well, I'm thinking what could have been. Opposition coming. What? I'm thinking what could have been. Had the Bruins survived Carolina. A, the team that that beat the Penguins, the Rangers. Bruins-Rangers would have been just delicious. Yes, you're right. But if Pittsburgh was in there, now you got the whole John Henry factor. Yes, that's true. Which would right. have been great to have, you know, the Bruins against John Henry, the Bruins against John Henry, the Bruins against... Shaughnessy would have had a field day. Uh, it would have been hysterical. I could just uh, play I... every game at Fenway Park. <laughs> Dan wouldn't be calling for free tickets, I can tell you that. Shaughnessy would have been great on that. You know, what do you think about Patrice Bergeron? I think he's done. Did you see? I didn't. I didn't see it happen in real time. But um, as he left the ice, he had like a strong embrace, a big hug from every single player. You know, they just didn't, you know, fist bump with their gloves or their sticks or a pat on the head. There was a big embrace. I, I don't think that the Bruins captain and one of the greatest Bruins and a surefire Hall of Famer who is up for his fifth Selkie, which would be an NHL record as best defensive forward. Um, I don't think he's coming back, and I'm disappointed. He's class what personified. What about Don Swinney coming back? What about Cassidy coming back? I, I mean, I okay, they went, they did go out in the first round, but I, I mean, I, I think that they're, 
they're, they're a team right on the edge. I mean, they didn't establish a goaltender all year long, which is really why you survive in the playoffs and how you advance. You know, now I think Swayman's the guy. And I think going to next year, I think that they would have a legitimate chance to be to go deep and to and to be a contender. And if I was Bergeron, I would factor that in. Um, he can get a very incentive late contract. Uh, was he making almost nine million now? Eight point seven five. Um, three kids. He's thirty-seven years old. It's not like he's his skills are diminished. I mean, he's he's still a he's still a factor. He's still a force. And the NHLPA, they do a poll every year where the players vote. And he was voted as the third most difficult player to play against in the entire league behind Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. You know, they always talk about the 200-foot game. I mean, he's so strong defensively. He always is one of the leading scorers on the team offensively. I mean, you think about, though, over 18 seasons, what that has done to him. And he has had a concussion, you know, halfway through, what, was it 2010, 2011, where he had the concussion issues? You know, he's got the kids. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this, especially pretty much face-offs. He wins face-offs. Led the league. How did he do against the last series, in, in the last series? He struggled against Stahl at times. He wasn't his dominant, but he was over 50%. He was 61% for the season. I got breaking news here, folks. You ready for it? Got it. The Patriots have announced who is the newest member of their Hall of Fame. And he is either Logan Mankins, Vince Wilfork, Mike Vrabel. Which one? Well, I picked Vrabel, but I bet it's Mankins. Hank? I chose Mankins when we did our little informal poll a few weeks ago. I thought it was going to be Logan Mankins. I'd take my mind. It's Wilfork. I get, I, I, that's my new pick. Vince Wilfork voted by the fans into the Patriots Hall of Fame. The Good 32nd catch. inductee. He is the sixth player to be selected by the fans in their fifth first year of eligibility, joining Drew Bledsoe, Troy Brown, Teddy Bruschi, Ty Law, and Kevin Falk. And Bill Parcells, right? Bill Parcells was not a finalist. <laughs> not a finalist. Yeah. I mean, it was hard to argue with any of those three, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. That's not the that, – I, really, that's not the point. The point isn't, you know, someone else. The point is they ought to be more inclusive. Why, why do you spend more time saying no to people than you should be saying yes to people? I mean, what? I don't understand it. I mean – it's inclusive. It's supposed to be rewarding effort and and loyalty. And how did Walfork Wilfork leave? Was he traded or was did he leave on his own? He was released, right? Yeah, he was released. Yeah. One of those. It's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's get rid of this Hall of Famer. One of those Godfather deals. It's nothing personal, Vince. It's strictly business. Hey, I got something for you guys to watch if you need something in the next week. The Lost Son of Havana. Do you remember that? Um, I had lunch yesterday with Chris Meyer and my friend Annie Powell, and they own a company called um, Mudhouse Media. And Chris had worked for the Farrelly Brothers for over 20 years as uh, a producer on, you know, their their big movies. You know, me, myself, and Irene, all that, the Three Stooges, you know, their whole uh, bank of movies that they did. But he did that documentary going back to Havana, Cuba with Louis Tiant. Spectacular. It debuted in 2009 and, you know, won an award up at, you know, Cooperstown has a, uh, a film festival, it won the film festival. So if you get a chance to watch it, The Lost Son of Havana, uh, going back to Havana with El Tiante, who, yes, should be in the Hall of Fame as well. Huh. I agree on Louis Tiant. Um, he's going to get a better chance now with this new, it's not called the Veterans Committee anymore. It's a different name for it, but it's a 16-person committee, and, and which may help Clemens and Bonds get in as, as well. Uh, they'll be convening in the fall. So we'll see how that goes. And one thing before we leave. Yep. And by the way, you can follow Unanchored Boston, the podcast, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a website, unanchoredboston.com. You can also listen on your smart device. All you need to do is say, hey, Alexa. 
play the unanchored Boston podcast or Hey Siri or Hey Google. Oh, you can hear him. I can hear it going off in my house. Um, so, but what do you think about Phil Mickelson withdrawing from the uh, tournament that he won? And, uh, you know, where he stands uh, politically in the golf world right now. He's just, the fall has just been so rapid. I mean, think a year ago in the PGA and Kiowa Island when he's coming up 18, he's getting the Arnold Palmer treatment, just loved by everybody, just stormed the fairway. They wanted to get close to him. Now, this whole Saudi Arabian, Greg Norman, fledgling little league they have there. The live um, tour. Yeah. And uh, comments uh, about the PGA Tour, um, gambling debts. Jeepers, what has happened to Phil? One of the most I think the gambling debts would be the most troublesome. I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean, I don't think the things you said about Saudi Arabia were that inflammatory, you know. I mean the gambling debts, so I mean that's 40 million. Gonna it puts a little pressure on you, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, you almost gotta play to make up for the gambling debts. He's lost, I think I have it here. Um his sponsorships, Terrible. he's lost uh Amstel Light, KPMG, Workday. And Callaway has put a pause on their relationship with him. That's a lot of money. You know, a lot of money. Well, I don't think any of those, certainly Callaway, you're right, it is a lot of money. You don't want to go against the PGA, but I don't know about the, the thing. Okay, like 40 million in gambling debts. Think about that. How do you ever make that up? Oh, ask Antoine well, the, Walker. The whole, the whole geopolitical aspect of it, you know, basically getting into bed with uh, the crown Saudi prince. You're, you're working, for, when you play in that tournament, you're working for their government. You're working for their government. And and they, it hasn't been proven, but they are accused of murdering the reporter, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. And Greg Norman was asked about it, and his comment was, well, we've all made mistakes. Murder. Now, it's not like a three-putt or sculling a ball out of a bunker. Yeah. Murder. We've all made mistakes. And this is the organization that Greg Norman wants to lead and be head of. Now, every tournament they have, the purse is $25 million. I would say the average purse on the PGA Tour is probably $10.5, $11 million. The Masters, I think, was 15 but it's right, right around $10.5, $11 million. So you can go over there and be guaranteed, if you come in last place, probably to make $150,000. Um, Jack Nicholas came out yesterday at ESPN and said that the Saudi government offered him $100 million to head up this uh, this fledgling league that, that they eventually chose Greg Norman. He says he responded, he said no in person, and he said no in a letter. And they still were hounding him, $100 million. He said, I built the PGA Tour in 1967 with some other golfers, and it's been good to me, and it's been good to a lot of people. And Jay Monahan, the commissioner, a uh, guy who plays out of whose dad, Joe, still plays out of Winchester Country Club, uh, says anybody that goes over there and plays will be banned from the PGA Tour for life. So there you have it. The line is being drawn in the sand. They have an exhibition they have a, a tournament going on the first week of June over in London. And it'll be interesting to see who decides to jump ship and go over there and challenge the, uh, the PGA tour. But I know uh, this that there, is... you know, a month ago there was talk that there would be seven or seven or eight, you know, yeah. of the top 25 money earners going over. You can't see that happening now. No, but a guy like, like Lee Westwood, you know, who, who can't hit the par fives like these young guys can, who can't win on the PGA tour, you know, can make some money. But, you know, he'll have to play in um, and under agreement. You have to play in 15 events if you're on the PGA Tour. But, you know, in 15 events, he might be able to make in two events what he could make in 15 events in the United States. So you can't really blame some of those guys. But they'll, they'll never be welcomed back in. I think they won't be able to play in the Masters, any of the majors, any of the, you know. So it's just sort of like, and, and I don't know how long this, I mean, the Saudi Arabian government's never going to run out of money, but I don't know how long this, this league will, will be around. It could be just a one-year wonder. I doubt that Norman initially factored in the geopolitical ramifications. On the other hand, Mickelson can be pretty flippant at times, and he can just be kind yeah. of dismissive and, and you know, 
like everybody makes mistakes. It's kind of a stupid comment, but a typical flippant Mickelson. No, that was Norman that said it. Oh, Norman, Norman said Norman, that. Norman said well, that we case, all make mistakes. Yeah. They yeah, said, what, I mean, about the, what about the murder of the, of the journalist? He says, oh, well, we all right. make mistakes. I mean, <laughs> a mistake? You know, that's a so when tough. do you see um, Mickelson's tough. mea culpa? Like a know. major mea culpa coming. I don't, know, I don't know if it's coming, but I mean, you know, uh, you know, all he has to do is have a press conference and say, look, okay, I, I got emotional, a little sorry. I love the PGA Tour. It's been great to me and my family and hope I can come back and compete. So I'm sorry goes a long way, you know, and yeah, I, I just don't I just don't know what's going on. What happens to him if he doesn't pay the 40 grand back, 40, 40 mil back? 40 back. mil? I don't know. You know, yeah. the, the Jimmy well, you know what? He. To be honest, some of the like, for instance, I was reading about some of the insider trading that had gone on, and he yeah. escaped prosecution. But there's a new book from uh, one of these guys who was a professional gambler, right? That's coming out that supposedly he's very that Mickelson is very very concerned about, you know, an unauthorized tome about you know a behind the scenes look from a guy who's got nothing to lose, a guy who's already done his time. Um. Anyway, which should be out in the next couple of weeks, but well. Anyway, all right, all guys. Right. Well, thank you. you know Rest in peace, Gino. Square right. toe. And don't forget, folks. Forty-two touchdown receptions, four thousand five hundred eighty-nine yards, two hundred ninety-two receptions, one hundred seventy-six field goals. 342 extra points, four field goals in a playoff game against Buffalo, and the guy can't get into the Hall of Fame. Let me ask you this, Mr. Kicker. Why do soccer kickers have a better success than straight-on square-toed kickers? I'll give you this analogy, Bob, and I think it makes sense. Think of striking the ball with a cricket mallet, and then think of striking the ball with a driver, golf driver, the, the leg swing, the, ki- the sweep. The sweep, yep. And then the um, cricket thing is back and forth. This this gets the ball in the air quicker. This avoids uh, your uh, – your reduces the chance of your uh, kick being blocked because it, it gets height really fast, but it doesn't go as far. Although Tom Dempsey kicked a 63-yarder with this thing. Yeah, and I missed one with those shoes. <laughs> Did you have a square toe? Of course I had a square toe. <laughs> Some people would take – I wore mine the whole game. When I played quarterback, and Gino wore his too, but some people would call timeout, and they they try to lace it up, and they sometimes would not get that snap off in time. But uh, these things are pretty good. Well, this thing weighs. Bob, you failed to point out though that you grew up in Apple Creek, which is Mennonite country, and you use wooden footballs. That might have something to do with it. (laughs) I got this at the old Mazinski Sporting Goods in Lynn, Mass. Long time ago. Okay. All right. Rest in peace, Gino. Good luck. Have a great weekend, you guys. All right, everybody. Unanchored Boston. Go to the website, unanchoredboston.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com. Thank you.